you know, there, there's no magic way to get out of that low end of going through change, but you got to get to the other side. And the big way that, that people have found is that you, you find your why. Hello, and welcome back to the High Impact Physician Podcast. On today's episode, Sandy is talking to Dr. Bob Underwood. He's the chief medical officer at the San Juan Regional Medical Center in New Mexico. And on this episode, they'll be talking about his transition from the military, conflicts between physicians and administrators, um, and a whole lot more. If you like this episode, consider leaving an honest review. It would mean the world to us. Um, but above all else, I hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks so much for listening. Awesome. So, Bob, for the folks listening, tell us a bit about who you are and maybe how you got to where you are today. Essentially, t- give us a snapshot of your story. Sure. Thanks, Andy. Um, so my, my route to becoming chief medical officer is somewhat circuitous uh, <laughs> because I actually was an Army officer, um, as in I was an Army officer in the artillery, uh, big cannons. And um, after my active duty service, I actually went back to college, got my pre-med, went to medical school, became an emergency physician, and then started working clinically. Um, Did that for several years until I was asked to kind of take on a project that was being uh, implemented. Uh, The little thing that we all know very well and fondly is the electronic medical record. Right. And I did that, and that slowly has transitioned me into more and more leadership positions. And now I'm a chief medical officer at San Juan Regional Medical Center in Farmington, New Mexico. Awesome. Sirtuitous. I haven't heard that word before. That's a great one, a great description. <laughs> so, so building on that, a lot of us talk about how a patient's life, you know, can be told through a story or even provider's life is like a story. Talk to us a little bit about a chapter of your story that's particularly interesting to you or might surprise other people. Sure. Um, I think it is um, kind of what I got to is the indirect route I took to getting here. Um, Going from the military, being an officer, but it all makes sense in the end uh, because it really is a combination of my two passions going through being an army officer and, and moving along that pathway and then taking a turn after desert storm, my wife, um, her, her job had moved her to another, another location. And so I said, well, I'll find something to do when I get there. And that something turned out to be medical school. Mm. And so it was, it was really, a, a kind of interesting. There's a PBS show on it says, so you want to be a doctor? And that started a conversation, and the conversation was basically, if you had a million dollars and didn't have to worry about the money, um, what would you do? And my answer was, I would go to med school. And then we said, does it take a million dollars to go to med school? I found out after it was all over, the answer was yes, but I didn't understand that through my naivety. Um, and so I pursued that and then kind of got to the other side with all of my medical training and then the leadership components of what I had done before. Uh, ended up coming into play uh, with the things we were trying to do as an organization. Wow. it's I so appreciate you talking about this indirect route because I think sometimes there's a perception that when people are in a really good place, it's a good match for them, that somehow it was sequenced out or there was a really clear roadmap. So really appreciate your idea of an indirect route. I love your 
reframe that it all makes sense now in the way you combine your passions. That's great. So the other sort of opening question I like to ask people in the spirit of getting to know you more is something along the lines of tell us two truths and one lie, and I'm going to try and guess the lie. Okay. Um, Let's see. Um, That I am an avid cook and have uh, taken cooking classes in Paris, that I am a multi-cross-country motorcyclist, and I am an avid skydiver carrying on from my military days. Okay, well, either way, you're very active. (laughs) I'm going to say the cooking and skydiving are true, and the cross-country motorcycling is false. You would be wrong. Oh! (laughs) Okay, so tell us a bit about the ones that are true. Okay, so um, I love to cook. I have taken uh, a cooking class in Paris when we were there on vacation one time. I have a kitchen that is really almost, I won't say professional grade, but it's pretty darn close. Hmm. And I love studying uh, recipes and trying to come up with my own modifications to them. And yeah, I cook a lot and uh, I've hosted a number of dinners over at my house for a relatively large group. So, And I'll do that for, for fun as well. It's kind of a disconnection um, because you have to focus on what you're doing. And so it's one of those things that really does separate you from... Um, your your work and and trying to maintain that work-life balance Mm. the the other is um i have driven across the united states or east to west or west to east three times um on a motorcycle north to south one time and across canada one time wow well that is inspiring uh we have a a some in common. I, I, I love to cook, um, though I don't follow recipes. I probably more, I gather some ingredients and then um, look to what to do. Um, so it's kind of a joke in our family. If someone likes what I've made, we'll never have it again. So uh, do love cooking, but I, I have not developed the, the muscle of following recipes. And the motorcycling, I've actually ridden across country once, but you have put a lot of miles on to have done that three times and also gone north to south. I bet it was spectacular. It, it, it was phenomenal. So, and yeah. I've um, only once have I done that with anybody else. The rest of the time, it's been a solo journey. Oh, gosh. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, that's fun to hear things that you do outside of your role. Um, so thank you for that perspective. Let's go ahead and shift gears then into just sort of exploring some things around physician leadership or anything tangential to that. And I'd love to start out by asking, so from your experience, what are some of the challenges that you see either medical directors, hospital, or system CMOs having? Certainly as a CMO, you spend a lot of time trying to balance. Um, You have the perspective of the physician, you've worked at the bedside, and you understand the concerns of the physicians as they express them to you. And that's a good relationship that you have to be able to maintain as a good CMO. But you also have a grander picture of the organization, what the organization is trying to accomplish, the direction that the organization is going. And so to be able to balance that and be able to be the translator between the two is often uh, somewhat challenging. I, I would say that that's one of the big ones. The other is, and, it, and it's certainly related, is being able to develop other physicians 
in the areas of leadership and management, and it's a little bit of both that becomes a challenge. Uh, I look at leadership and management as uh, being fairly two distinct things. And there, there's a gray area between that. I understand that. But physicians aren't re- are ill-prepared for either of those components when it comes to a larger organization. And it's of no fault of their, their own. They're incredibly talented, incredibly driven, incredibly smart people. They just don't get that exposure as you're coming through your medical training. And so being able to develop that in other physicians as a chief medical officer is often a challenge. That's awesome. So so building on that passion you have around developing others, if you could design a, an ideal physician leadership program that would be distinct and better than any others, what would you have in that program? Um, start early. <laughs> that's, that's that's really it. I mean, if you if you look at organizations that have that have really good leadership development programs, it is it is phasic. It starts at the very beginning. Um, you work your way into a leadership role, and then generally you'll go and do some level of leadership training, and then you come back and you exercise those lessons that you just learned. And then you work your way up. There was an article recently, I think it was in Harvard Business Review. It says, do practices work in a low-risk environment to practice your leadership skill set? And, uh, you know, in healthcare, especially where physicians are involved, there's not a lot of low-risk environments. And so how do you develop that and practice that unless you start at the very beginning? I've actually had a, a couple of phone calls with my medical school about helping them with development of leadership training for med students as they're coming through the program. I bet that would be welcomed from all perspectives, the residents' perspectives, the organizations they work for. That's wonderful. So building on that, tell us about any common myths that you are noticing around being a physician leader. Any myths that you would want to debunk? Um, the biggest one is really probably between um, what I see between the physicians and, and uh, administration, the board of directors, et cetera, and that is we're all really out to meet the same outcome. We look at it through a different lens. We have different tools, but in the end, what we're trying to get is the best outcomes for our patients and the, the spectrum of ways that we look at it tend to be different depending on where you're coming from. And so I think that that's one of the myths that, you know, the, the administration is not out to get anybody. And I don't think even the government is out to get anybody, but that's kind of how it's looked at. And, and again, it comes back to being able to translate that into what's the better, bigger and better picture that we're looking at in the long term for our patients and for the healthcare in general. That's great. And that really creates almost an invitation for people to remember um, what called us into this work rather than this dualistic thinking or this either or. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's actually interesting. You should bring that up. We've been having uh, employee forums um, over the last week. I've been uh, I have about a 30 minute presentation. I've done four of them this week. I have one more to do later this afternoon. And it really is about getting back to your why. Why did you go into healthcare? We talk about burnout. Um, we talk about resiliency. We talk about trying to come through change um, at um, without dwelling in the negative aspects of the change, but looking forward to what that brings forth in the future. And um, you know, there, there's no magic way to get out of that low end of going through change. 
but you got to get to the other side. And the big way that, that people have found is that you, you find your why and come back to going into connecting. Why did you do this in the first place? Why did you decide to work at a healthcare organization? And it's not just clinicians. And we talk about it in terms of uh, our engineering services. You know, you're a caregiver. You save lives. By making sure that the airflow in our sterile areas is appropriate, you are saving lives. Make sure you're connected to that as we go through and try to make this a better organization. Well, and I really appreciate the way you're reframing this notion of burnout, reframing it in terms of what's possible. What is your perspective? What is your why? Talk to us a little bit more. Um, There's a lot of people wanting to address physician and nursing burnout. Tell us a little bit more about your perspective, um, what you think we should be talking more about or doing more of. You know, I think a big, big parts of it, there, and, and it's multifaceted. I don't think that there's any one solution that's going to work for everybody. We talk about uh, meditation. We talk about um, being, you know, kind of self-actualized or, or mindfulness. And I practice some of those things, but I know that they don't work for everybody. Not everybody is in that, in that zone, so to speak. And so I think a lot of it is um, really... Uh, finding what works for you, um, but also being in touch with the why did you do this in the first place. Um, the other is having an outlet outside of work, something that helps us decompress. You know, um, my my wife and I, um, all the kids are grown up, and so it's just she and I, so we travel, and, you know, that's an opportunity to decompress. But the other things, you know, there's um, other discussion points, but I have no uh, work email on my iPhone. I have no calendar on my iPhone. So when I am not here, I cannot check my email. Um, It's only on my computer. I don't have a laptop that I can take home from work either. So it's almost a forced separation. It almost sounds like people talk about life hacks, like tricks or techniques or habits that can really support that. Talk a little bit more about any other, when you think of like a life hack or something that you, something small or practical that you've helped to maintain that sense of well-being. Sure. I mean, you know, that, that's definitely one of them. The other is, um, I take, um, right now I'm taking an online course. It has absolutely nothing to do with medicine. And I think that that's a, another hack a little bit depending on your perspective. Now, I think that it is a something that is personally fulfilling, which in turn helps me in my job, but it's not focused on medicine per se. So that's just one of the things that I do. I try to come in early in the morning and actually spend a little time preparing myself for the day before the meetings get started and everything else. I think that that's important to do as well. Great. And I really appreciate the way you're saying that... Um, different things work for different people. So there's really some value in trying on some new habits and then noticing what, what, what connects with you and what does make a difference and then let go of the other ways that other people do it. So it, interesting you should say that. I never thought I would be somebody who would actually meditate, but I do. So, <laughs> it worked. Uh, all right. So now we have to go down that path. Tell us a little bit about your meditation practice. How did you get started and what does it look like these days? Um, so, uh, it kind of depends on the location. Um, we actually, so we are in, I'll give you a little bit of background. Uh, we are in, um, 
a high concentration of Native American. In fact, we, we are adjacent to the largest Navajo reservation in the United States. Mm. And so part of our hospital on every floor, we have what we call meditation rooms, which are built in a style of a kiva. Um, if anybody's familiar with the architecture of Native Americans, kind of a, a meeting house where ceremonies could be performed, etc. Um, we have one on every medical floor of our hospital. And we actually can take patients in there and they do ceremonies uh, for the Native Americans in that area, as long as it doesn't involve smoke or fire, we can do that. But we call it a meditation room so that it's agnostic. Anybody can go in there. And uh, I have gone in there um, where it's quiet and I know I won't be disturbed and on a busy day, try to break free and actually sit in there and meditate. Of course, I'll do it at home um, uh, if it's you know quiet especially when I'm there alone. So those are some of the practices that I do. Um, I can't say that I have a specific time every single day when I do it. It's kind of I'm trying to fit it in, and I could probably probably be more disciplined around that. It's my sense that would take courage to at your facility um, to carve out time to go do that. Um, it seems to me that people who are in executive roles are being watched all the time. So what a powerful thing to watch your CMO going into a meditation room and knowing that's something that he or she values. Nobody has ever shared it with me. I've shared it with a couple of other people. So I don't know if I'm seen or not, but. <laughs> I'm pretty sure if you're at your facilities, I'm pretty sure you get seen sometimes. So that's awesome. It's a great way yeah. to role model, like just doing things that matter and right. how you go about. That's great. Sure. So I know from a previous yep. conversation that you and I had, there's there's a couple of things that you're very curious about and passionate about. Tell us tell us about one or two of the things that, um, that you're most passionate about right now or putting your attention on. Sure. Um, so as you and I had spoken before, and what we've already alluded to is physician leadership physician leadership development. I think if you read anything about the changes in healthcare, the Affordable Care Act, uh, clinically integrated networks, value uh, being introduced uh, to the payment systems of healthcare and how we have a continuum of care that's well outside of the hospital. And then you go on to read the articles and they say, and we need physicians in leadership roles uh, to help drive this change forward. But as we said before, physicians aren't really prepared for that. Um, and sometimes they don't even know that they are. So I have uh, recently completed a book or almost I have just the intro to finish. Everything else is done um, on physician leadership development. I'm working with a company called Academy Leadership and their CEO, Dennis Haley, to uh, get this book published. And so hopefully that will be coming out actually within the next month or so. It'll actually be released. So that's been one of the things that I've been working on. Now, it's not something that you know, was done in, in a week. It's actually something I've been working on for a couple of years, but we're nearing the end of that pathway. So very excited about that. Um, and of course, uh, working on uh, leadership development among the physicians here, I do a class. Um, right now, it's once a month uh, to talk about leadership, leadership attributes, what leadership really means, and working with each of the physicians to, um, and I have not just physicians in the room. Um because I think that physicians would not lead in isolation, therefore they should not be uh, taught in isolation about leadership. Um, but working on all of our leadership philosophies um, to actually sit down and say, okay, what matters to you? What are your values? If you're in a leadership role, what should your team expect of you? 
And what do you expect of your team? What are some of your pet peeves around leadership, et cetera? And then you share that with your team. Now, I can say that everybody that works in any of my departments has a copy of my leadership philosophy. Some of them have it right in front of their desk on their on their bulletin board. Okay, so I have to ask then, tell us a little something about your leadership philosophy. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, so my leadership philosophy, uh, a number of components to it. You know, my expectation of the, of the team is that we are mutually supportive of each other and trying to accomplish our goals, that uh, we communicate well with each other, um, that we may be behind closed doors and we can argue about what we're going to do. But once we have decided what we're going to do, even if you weren't in favor of that, we all support that decision as we move forward and act as if it's our own. Other things is, you know, my expectations is everybody is honest uh, with each other. Everybody's up front that we're candid with one another as we uh, as we communicate. And then I say that uh, the my biggest values are service, um, honor. And I take that. I don't just say honesty. I say honor because I think that there's other connotations other than just, you know, of course, from West Point, it's I will not lie, cheat, steal nor tolerate those who do. Um, but it's also serving with a level of duty that uh, is worthy of, of the title and of the individual. Uh, I put those in the category of honor as well. Um, pet peeves is uh, don't be mean to each other. Uh, if there's anything that'll get me going, it's um, when I find someone is uh, being hostile, uh, mean, or bullying especially when somebody doesn't have the ability to defend themselves. Um, that's when I'll be there um, relatively quickly uh, to kind of step in and, and defend those. And I think that may actually be why I went into emergency medicine, you know, helping people when they need it the most and when they're at their most vulnerable. So I think that's an underlying theme for me in general. Uh, but I clearly put that right into my leadership philosophy. Mm. I can't help but assume that a leader that comes from those values and that philosophy really helps to build an environment that has psychological safety. And we're seeing a lot out there right now about how people are working in environments where they're feeling some sense of fear. So I can imagine how that really would contribute to a culture of more safety. I'm, I'm wondering, as you were talking about your philosophy and values, it had me, had me starting to imagine what your typical day might be like. Tell us if, if we were to take a peek behind the scenes at your life or your work, what might people learn about you or what you do that surprises them? So in a, in a typical day, you know, if you were to look behind the scenes. Hi, everyone. Taylor here. Just wanted to jump in. Uh, we're going to go ahead and stop the podcast here. If you want to continue listening to Robert and Sandy's insightful conversation, go ahead and check out part two of this conversation on the High Impact Physician Podcast.